0: <clears throat> thanks, everyone, and um, welcome, everyone, and, and thanks for joining me. I, I appreciate uh, you taking, uh, you know, 45 minutes, an hour out of your day to to come and join us. So um, these, like, you know, this has been a, uh, this webinar is probably a culmination of, of, of a couple of years' um, work and a lot of work, really, um, in terms of my thinking. Um, and these are what I honestly believe um, we need to start doing as an industry to improve our investigation so um the first one <clears throat> i'll just give a quick overview of what we're going to talk about one the first one is that we've got to change the objective from investigating investigations to one of learning uh, and understanding and, and managing risk as being objective from an investigation so that's number one. Uh, second tip is changing how we decide what we choose to investigate and then how we investigate it so that's it Varying levels of methodology we all have in our organisations, um, and, and actually looking at different ways of doing that, and we'll talk about that. Um, probably the, the most important thing for me is including the discovery of normal working investigations. Um, we we you know we're involved in a lot of investigations. We review a lot of investigations, and we consistently see that the the main reason we don't actually. Uh, improve anything is because we haven't gathered the right information. So we've, we've got to do much better at that. Um, we've got to push the boundaries with actions. We're going to talk about that, and you'll know what I'm talking about when, when we get to that stage. Um, you know, how many admin actions can we really do? You know, how many toolbox talks really do we have to put out there before we realise they're not making a difference? Uh, and the last one is is probably where the rubber really hits the road, and that's and that's actually. Um, Creating the pool for change from our leaders, so, so you know, getting leaders to spend and open their wallets and, in, and and allocate the resources needed for change. So that's what we're looking at. Uh, that's so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, those are my top five tips. So if if, if that's what you're tuned in for, you, you can you're done, you can go. Uh, but if you're interested in learning a bit more about it, um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll unpack each of those. So the first one um, is. Why we investigate at all? So you know, uh, an event occurs, um, and as an organisation, we then have a decision to decide about what we do with that event. Um, you know, the, 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 we might we don't have to investigate it at all. Um, you know, we don't we don't have to do anything. We can just you know look after the if it's someone's injured, look after the injured. We can repair the damage. We can repair the harm. Um, but you know, we've got to decide what's the objective here of investigation. And traditionally, our objections have been to prevent recurrence. I've written it in procedures, I've written it in um, systems, I've taught it, I've trained it, I've been involved in it and prevent recurrence. My question to the group is this, how's that working out for us? You know, and, and, uh, you know, you're probably, you know, and you're probably all, you know, nodding your heads and going, not well, Mark, not well. We, we aren't preventing recurrence of anything. Um, yeah, there'll be the occasional outlier. So please, you know, don't, um, don't attack me uh, too hard. But yeah, in general, we don't prevent recurrence. Not a bad aspiration, but actually ultimately largely unattainable. And the reason it's largely unattainable is quite simple when we actually think about it. We put two and two together. To prevent recurrence, prevent an incident happening again, we would actually to guarantee it doesn't happen again, that's what prevent means it doesn't happen again. We would actually have to eliminate some part of the risk. So if we were to prevent recurrence of um, incidents involving forklifts, we would have to involve, we would have to eliminate the use of forklifts. If we wanted to eliminate knife injuries, we would have to prevent the recurrence of a knife injury, we'd have to eliminate the use of knives. You know, and sometimes that's possible, but most of the time, these elimination actions are all, are unicorns, very rare uh, and very unlikely. And what that does though, it puts us in this very linear space about really just hearing about the event itself. So that's the behavior it drives. So we know systems drive behavior, right? um so we know that if our system says you know you must try and you know identify this root cause so we can prevent recur we can put an action in place to prevent reoccurrence well we rarely ever get actions that prevent reoccurrence because most of our actions are administrative and all we ever do is focus on this root cause of an event which is typically very linear and doesn't really broaden the risk we're not really understanding the true nature of the risk so some time ago we we decided um at investigations differently that Our objective isn't going to be to prevent reoccurrence. Our objective is going to be learn and improve. And by improve, we mean reduce risk. That's what we're looking to do. We're going to investigate. We're going to learn as much as we can about the work, as much as we can about the task, as much as we can about the complicated socioeconomic system environment that it lives in. And then we're going to reduce risk. We're going to identify those issues. So that's our aim because reducing risk should always be one of the key objectives for any person involved in health and safety because that's our that's our that's our goal, right? Eliminate or to reduce risk as so far as reasonably practical. That's our whole that's our whole end objective. And how we achieve that, we can do in any number of ways. So my first point chain, get re- removed, prevent recurrence, and move to one of learning and improving because you can't manage what you don't understand. Managers can't manage risks that they don't know about and don't understand. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. The next point we're gonna talk about is how we choose to investigate. And so a little story here, I was working with some clients uh, a while ago and this incident occurred. So someone was walking up uh, ladders of a truck, it wasn't that particular truck, but they were were, were walking up ladders of the truck, they fell to the ground and they got, uh, and they had uh, sustained arm and leg fractures, fairly
1: serious. A different operator was walking along a platform, very similar to this one here, Nothing on the ground,
0: wasn't wet, wasn't raining, no issues, wearing appropriate PPE, the boots were fine, done up. They basically tripped over their own feet and they fell to the ground and they sustained wrist and rib fractures.
1: The problem is now both of those resulted in record what we call recordable
0: injuries. One was lost time. Somehow, the other one was medically treated. That's half the problem, right? Right there, which meant that both of those for that
1: organisation required an ICANN. How much is it to learn? Like, I think the one on
0: the on the one left with the truck ladder and the handrail failing there. I reckon there'd be a lot to learn there. The operator is just walking on and trips over their feet. Not a lot to learn. And in fact, in that investigation, they I, I, I was sitting in the review and they were discussing about the outcome putting posters out at their sites saying, watch where you walk. If I was an operator of that site, I, that poster wouldn't, like literally wouldn't have even registered in my consciousness. And if I had seen it, I, my thoughts about the person that wrote that that um, poster or developed that poster, not very gentlemanly like. I can just tell, I can tell you that not very gentlemanly like at all. So we're stuck in this driven by two how we how we investigate that methodology whether we do little minor investigation, media investigation, high investigation, or whatever whatever mix your organisation does. We're stuck with this sort of approach about where we choose it. And the first one is on this this the first approach we use is on an actual consequence base. So if it was a first aid, medical treatment, restricted work, loss time, fatal fatality, that determines what level we come in at with the investigation. The problem with that is, and I'll just show it all up, is that these definitions, often written by organisations themselves, and heaven forbid you're subject to an organisation that follows OSHA, because we know how lovely that whole system is with OSHA, um, it tends to drive this approach that the classification is more important than patient care. You know, we've all seen those things. And we've probably experienced it ourselves, where you know we've got people in the hospital and we're asking to review procedures, or they've got a broken leg in the office, broken arm in the office, or whatever. And they're a, you know, they're out in the field. They're a field worker. You know, they, you know, might have very low um, computer skills because that's not what they're into and not their job. But we're asking them to sit there for a week or two and review procedures, just so we don't, you know, get a stat. Um, the statistical manipulation is mind-boggling. Um, you know, the the organisations quite often write their own definitions for those um, on in the column on the left there, um, and then we play with it. We play with it. Oh, you know, my my favourite one is is prescription medication. We you know if we give them if we give them, uh, you know, like Voltaren's a classic example, right? We give someone 25 milligrams of Voltaren to take, not a medical treatment. If we give them 50 milligrams, medical treatment—it's medical treatments because it's prescription medicine. Here, uh, therefore, hey doc, we'll just get him—we'll just get him to 25s, and he can take two. Case you know, we've we fixed it, right? Um, it drives underreporting, um, you know, because it, people don't want to lose bonuses or or any of these other stupid reward systems we've got out there for. For 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 injury frequency rates, Um, and worst of all, we end up with poorly based safety interventions. So, you know, we 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 end up putting actions in place that actually won't solve anything. And 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 you know, the case in point I just mentioned there before before about um, you know uh, posters up on the wall saying "Watch where you walk," you know, like that's not going to help. That's not going to help at all. Or you know, I saw one the other day with a a sign, you know, stair safety, and they put it up in front of stairs, thinking that someone's going to read the sign on stair safety. That's not happening at all. So we've got to be, you know, we've got to be better than that. The other way we do it is this potential. We use the risk matrix, the good old risk matrix. Um, you know, and 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 the problem with this is the risk matrix itself is again a subjective tool. It's poorly understood, understood and applied. We end up with a lot of overclassification. I worked with um, a couple of big mining organisations, and you know, they, everything was killing everyone, uh, even, though there was, it wasn't credible, even though it was wasn't credible, even that was incredible. And the problem with overclassification is if we everything is a high potential, in this in this um, potential based methodology, what we find is we end up with too many investigations, we don't have enough investigators that are qualified or competent or even barely competent, not let alone good, which leads to poor investigation outcomes, which leads to bad actions, which leads just to more and more and more procedures and lines and procedures and, and we don't reduce risk. We don't reduce risk. So what we put forward is divorce, is, is look at some different ways. now. Um, you know, I'm about to show you a way that we're we're sort of going down. I'm not saying this is perfect, and it does have its it does have its limitations. They all do. It does have its compromises. But I think it's a, for us, it's a better approach. So we talk about so our our high level investigation methodology is called Blue Line. That's the one that we 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 um, we subscribe to. Um, so that high level investigation. We're doing a blue line investigation, and we only do them for notifiable events or dangerous occurrences. So those are ones where the regular, we have to notify a regulator. Um, now I understand if you're subject to you're based out of America. I'm not sure if i have got people from America on the call. Quite often we have overseas um, guests. Um, that's going we had, we'd have to temper that uh, and put some exclusions in that. Uh, but for Australia, it's it, you know to be a notifiable event or a dangerous occurrence. That's that's right up there, right? That, that's fairly serious. You know, we're basically admitting someone as an inpatient hospital or could have. Uh, the other one is events with a credible potential for a critical consequence. Now I'm hearing you might say, well, oh, Mark, what's that difference to the actual potential matrix? Well, for a start, we don't worry about the matrix. We're not interested in the matrix. All we're looking for is credible potential. So it's got to be plausible, it's got to be reasonable. Uh, it's got to fall in those in, in, in that space for a critical consequence. So that's our material risk. That's our fatal risk. And by credible and 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 we mean not possible. We don't mean possible. So, for example, you know I could be walking um, like that. That uh, operator that that hurt herself on that walkway. I could be walking on there. Now, the most likely injury for me would be scrapes, grazes. Most likely injury. The worst case is probably what happened to her: broken bones. There's Is it possible she could die? It it is because anything's possible, but we'd have to add extra risks to it. So we'd have to put things like, um, you know, that'd be water, or or, or she hits her head or I hit my head or, you know, get run over by a car, whatever it might be, right? They just, that didn't happen. So it's not credible. So we've got to make sure we're looking for credible things. So one of my things is, don't put people where they never would credibly be. We see this with dropped objects. Something gets dropped, Oh, if they had to hit someone, it could kill someone. Therefore, it's a critical risk. No, only if someone credibly could have been there. If no one credibly could have been there, then it's not a it's not a high potential. So that's for our for our high level ones. The next one we really subscribe to is for other events below that. Learning teams love learning teams. There's small workshop engagements. Um, and again, look if you're interested, if you if you want to know more about these things, um, contact us. Um, but basically they're they're about the task, right? And what we and the for us, the trigger for a learning team would be an event that, you know, where we've had a, an issue with a critical control. So something didn't work. So it might be a guard wasn't in place, it might be um, you know, the, the brakes failed on something, you know, those critical controls that we that we should be working with. Um and the other the other one we would do them for is. Sort of events where we see a genuine opportunity for organisational learning. And by organisational learning, I'm, I'm asking these sort of questions. Do we have a history in the organisation of similar events? Like, are we is this a common sort of event we have that we're constantly getting? So maybe we should do something about it. Um, there's multiple controls that we've identified. Hang on, this really fell over in a multiple ways. It's a really common task with a lot of exposure across the organisation. Um, that's, you know, that's worth looking at. And if there's issues that are outside the work crew's control or influence, again, that contributes. It's not a yes or no thing. We would assess all of those things and, and make a decision. So if I was in health and safety, I'd make I'd be advising the you know the risk owner um, whether or not I thought there was genuine opportunity for organizational learning of a sufficiently deep level, so you know, a systemic level, a system level, an organizational level. If that opportunity exists, then we should do a learning team. Um, and and we're, again, we're learning about the work and what's what's going on with the work. And for a minor level, so that's for a medium, that learning team type thing, that's if you want to put it into some context for yourselves, that's sort of medium. For minor, we're looking at what we call a task insight. And this is, and basically one of the things, and, and if we talk to Jeff Boath, um, uh, wrote a great paper on what a technique called the 4Ds, um, and it's completed by a supervisor within the first 48 hours. And we recommend have a look at, look at that, look at JetFlight's white paper. And basically your four Ds is just asking four really simple questions with the work crew. So the supervisor does it within the first 48 hours with the work crew. Um, and if it was just a solo operator, there's no work crew there made with other workers that do that same task. You want a group of people, three, four, five, and asking just four simple questions. What's dumb? about this task that we what's what are the dumb things we make you do for this task not what dumb things people do what are the dumb things the organization asks you to do what doesn't make sense in other words that's the first d what's different you know what about this task is different from other tasks that are similar or what's what 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 was different on the day finding out about those sort of things what's difficult what makes this task hard why is it makes it way harder than it should be. Like, you know, we all have those things that make things really hard, you know. Permit to work's one of them, right? Makes it really hard to do sometimes successfully without making a mistake. And lastly, probably the obvious one is what's dangerous, right? What's dangerous about this task? And that's just completed within the first 48 hours, you know, and, and the work crew comes up with some, some actions um, or controls that are in their sphere of control or perhaps even their influence and they push them up. So that's what that's the way we're leaning with our clients about how to how to investigate and how to choose what the investigation methodology. And these are the investigation methodologies where we're looking at strongly. Um, Legal, so LPP for those is legal professionally privileged. Look at the end of the day, don't even bother having. You know, you can have a. a, You know a um, a format for your site that you like uh, the blue line's fine if you want to use that or whatever other high, high high level investigation methodology you use but typically that methodology should be determined by the instructing council and it should be and there should be very narrow scopes and it should be just for the purpose that they use to then provide instructions to clients and that's how we maintain the professional privilege if we don't and 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 it's used other ways well we lose the legal professional privilege anyway so I'm always very careful with um, legal professional privilege investigations and making sure we set the boundaries and, and only deliver what the solicitors need us to deliver and nothing more. Um, and so just in that, in terms of legal professional privilege investigations conducted under there, typically what they, they're designed to provide advice, their, their objective is for the instructors to, re, the um, instructing solicitor or counsel to review and then provide advice to the client. That is their purpose. Our purpose for other investigations is to learn and reduce risk. So they're two different purposes. So they should have two different roles. One of the things we we look at is how we investigate, the the, the information we gather uh, and the the models we use. Now, all models um, are, are rubbish. Some are just more than useful than other others and of those um, it all comes into how good um uh, the, the investigator is and how competent they are and, and and how willing they are and and how determined they are so even, even you know even with a poor model a, a good investigator can get a, a good result um but even with an excellent model a poor investigator will get a poor result uh, one of the things that gets thrown a lot around a lot is Swiss cheese um we've just got to be careful with those models because You know, in the case of some of these, they give you you a book of answers and you spend all your time trying to fit what the information you know into a specific answer in the book, the classification. So what happens then is we only find what we're looking for and we only look for what we've been told to look for, which is the book of answers, I call it. Um, And we've got to be careful with that Swiss cheese model because even Reason said himself, it's not an investigation model, it's an accident causation model um and it's it's you know we can look into the hindsight and it provides us a hindsight look sometimes so we've got to be really careful in how we apply those um and because it doesn't it it focuses very much on the event itself and not discovering the other stuff and we ended up we end up with this and, and and look i'm sure a lot of you have seen these sort of Root causes, um, and I call them so. You know, root causes in inverted brackets. Uh, the worker made an error of violation. The worker failed to follow a procedure. Was complacent, and that's a horrible word. Can we please stop using complacent? It means people don't care, and they do care. Um, they failed to identify the risk. Well, you know, Captain Hindsight comes in here. Um, supervisor did not correct supervisor correctly. Well, you show me a supervisor with a smear minute in the day. Um, and uh, I'll show you a very lucky supervisor. We don't learn anything for those. We know if someone gets injured or someone damages something at work or has some other issue in the environment, whatever it might be, of course they've made a mistake, right? Of course. That doesn't teach us anything. No procedure says do step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, step four, do this, step five, hurt yourself. So as soon as they do, of course they've broken a procedure. We know this for a fact, right? We know these things. It's not complacency, it's autopilot. The more familiar you are with the task, the less attention we pay that task. And just think about when you drive. Doesn't mean you don't care. But these are the things we've got to get away from. And we've got to go deeper. We've got to go deeper. So too often I see these organisational issues where the worker wasn't trained. The procedure was wrong or missing. The risk wasn't identified. You know, you can you can see what I've got there. There's not enough detail. Why wasn't the worker trained? Was it because we didn't have enough trainers? Was it because we didn't know they needed to be trained? Was it was it not in the training needs analysis? Did we not have a training needs analysis? If we didn't have a training needs analysis, why didn't we have a training needs analysis? That's what I want to know. You know, I want to dig deep. Why, why do these conditions exist? And, and too many, organi- too many um, investigations are stopping at this very low level of, of organisational issue. Yes, it's an organisational issue. Yes, you could plug it in and say, look, these are our organisational issues, but they're not good enough. We've got to get better. If we're going to reduce risk, we have to get better, right? And we have to identify the systemic issues at that foundational level. Is it not because we don't have enough resourcing? Right. And and how many of you now working in organisations where you've never been resourced as badly as you are now, you know, in terms of the amount of work that you've got in place? Every organisation I work with is just screaming for people and resources because they can't get them. But we're not reducing the workloads. And where this is really particularly going to come um, up is in the new code of practice with psychosocial safety hazards. because. Low demand, uh, like so high job demands with low resourcing or not matching that job demands to resourcing is a psychosocial safety risk. And organisations need to start recognising that and 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 actually not and do something about it. Uh, the code of practice means we can't stick our heads in the sand anymore, we actually have to do something about it. As Todd Conklin says. You know, death hides in normal work and, and stable systems make it really difficult to, to find, to identify, you know. And by normal work, we mean those, you know, the, the production pressure that's on us every day, the resource constraints that are there, our flawed processes, equipment in its state, you know, is it, is it in good repair, poor repair, old, new, you know, COVID banged us about, we're still recovering, spare parts. Um, demand, you know, I was at a warehouse yesterday with a client, and just the way the ebb and flow of material supplies all over the shop at the moment. So, their warehouse is quite constrained because it had to take on a lot more stock because of just the way it didn't get delivered when it should have. Now it's still a bit late with a whole lot of other stock, and they're having to manage additional risk with that. You know, that variability of everything, um, procedures, and how good our procedures are. All these things. A normal work. These are the every day. It's not just a one-off, right? This is these aren't the conditions that are existing um, just for the event itself. These things exist ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, uh, and workers are just managing it. That's why we call it the blue line. That's 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 why um, it, it, it's it's that normal variability of how the J gets job gets done and how they make decisions because their decision-making is completely influenced through the context of the work environment and the systems that either support it and enable good decisions or don't set people up for success. How many times have we not set our people up for success and been honest about it? And that's what we want to discover. And we only get it if we if we collect stories and what they are. There's, there's stories about when they adapt, you know, how, how they have to adapt the work that they do, you know, oh, you know, we we have to adapt because the job says, you know, normally we're meant to use four people, but now we just have to do it with three because we can't, like, no one wants the job. We can't get a fourth person um, or we can't afford a fourth person because we've had to cut um, costs or because our expenses are going up so high and the inflation, inflation is driving, um, you know, just as much hurt with organisations as it is with individuals uh, in terms of how things get done. Um, goal conflict: contractors and clients, or principal contractors. You know, the 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 contractor's job is to make as much money out of a job as they possibly can with minimal expenses, and the um, principal contractor or the or the client, their role is to get that work done for the minimum amount of cost, um, as well well as they can. Straight up, goal conflict. Um, Trade offs between equipment running time and equipment maintenance. You know, we know the more we, we maintain it, the the better condition the equipment will be. Um, but then it's not down for it's down for production. We have less production. The more it's up for production, then maybe the more likely it is to get um, a, have a breakdown. So there's those trade offs that we have, uh, and we all know that our procedures aren't hundred percent complete and hundred percent correct. Ask yourself a question: How complete are and correct are our procedures? Are they fifty percent complete and correct? Sixty? Seventy? We know it. And we accept it, and we, but we need our people to actually work around the shortcomings in our design. And you can't just collect that work as normal in a room. You can't collect it as just in a room. You can't do it by email. You can't do it by phone call. You need to get out and engage with people, build their trust, build the rapport, and, and find out what we call the truth, right? Find out what we call the truth. And When we we talk about work as normal, it's just about the task. We don't worry about the event. Couldn't care about the event. Not interested in the event at all. Um, What I'm interested in is just the work. So we've got a diver here. What's their work? What I'm I'm interested in what they've got to do there. So that diver there maintains um, farm fishing nets. So they're out fixing farm fishing nets. What's your day like? What goes on? not just that diver there, not just her, but the rest of the team, the rest of the divers. How are they coping? What's going on with them? Other teams, you know, so that might be one team, we might have three or four teams. How are they all doing that same job? Remember, it's about the task, you know? Other sites, what's going on there? Night shift, now, you know, it's quite interesting the variability and how we talk about night shift. I come from a bit of mining background, if we were talking about doing something on night shift, the reason we're doing it doing night shift is because probably we're doing something perceived to be slightly, you know, less than the uh, written standard. Shall we put it that way? Um, because, and why we do it? Because there's less people around watching us. So we do it on night shift. Um, did we hurt more people on night shift? No, we didn't. In fact, we probably got more, we got more work done on night shift, which tells us something about all, of, all the constraints we put on our people on day shift and how constrained they feel with their work. It's those things. It's the messy story of the task, you know, and and we're asking, you know, and we've got to ask the right questions because to gain that, we've got to ask the right questions. This is a quote from Andrea Baker. If we view the worker as the problem, all of our questions are really going to be about the worker. You know, what's your training? What's your experience? Did you do a take five? Did you follow the procedure? Um, you know are you licensed were you fatigued were you distracted were you playing on your mobile phone though if those are our questions our solutions are always going to be about the worker you know retrain discipline those sort of questions those sort of solutions which means we're not reducing risk we're not affecting the probability of other people getting hurt we've done nothing except you know the old blame and retrain and we've got to get off that rent about So we've got to ask the right questions. So it even starts there. How we ask our questions. We've got to shift our thinking from who failed to what failed. Hold the mirror up to the organization about normal work. What's driving it? And I use these things called generative questions. You know, we ask these ones in wonderment and curiosity, right? We really have to be genuinely curious because at the end of the day, we're trying to create change. They've got to be without bias and judgment, right? So yes, I might have done that job once upon a time, or I might have even done two weeks ago. But it's not, I'm not, it's I can't use that bias or judgment or knowledge. That's not how we get what's going on, right? How work actually happens. You talk to any supervisor, you ask, did the work go, did your day go today how you planned? And yeah, if they're just doing normal stuff, their normal day. It never goes how they anticipate in the morning. They get some stuff done, but it's always going to be interrupted by other stuff. Tell me a story. So don't ask, you know, tell me a tell me story. Don't, don't start, to, we can ask an open question. Oh, how does work go really well? And they'll give us a general answer. No, tell me a story about the last time this task went really well. Tell me a story about when you were doing this job, something was out of your control. What did you do? How did how did you cope? You know what was the result? Tell me a story when you were doing this job about the last time you had to well, when you had to adapt and change how you did the job. You made a mistake, or well, someone got hurt or nearly got hurt doing it. Tell me a story, because the stories are the real data, because these these are evidence of things that have happened. Right. So these are this is information of real risk because we these are things that happen all the time. And if you ask the right questions, you're going to get some amazing answers and, and guarantee you some of them will peel your toes because you just didn't know it and you can't manage what you know don't know. So normal work is so vital. Normal vital, So vital is normal work. So tell me a story, tell me a story, tell me a story. Once we've got that and it doesn't matter how, like I don't care what investigation model you use, how you plug it in, the analysis you do, Those, that normal work stories will really help you identify the systemic issues. Once we've got them, now we've got to fix stuff. Now we've got to fix it. What are we doing with it? And too often we see this sort of stuff. The worker will be disciplined. The worker will be retrained. A new toolbox will be developed and rolled out to everyone, right? Put the information in the induction, right? That's the stuff we see. Um, and I bet you you're all nodding your heads. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, you know this is I did an investigation yesterday. And this was in it, right? Horrible actions do nothing to reduce work. Let's discipline should never be an action report for a start. You know if we're down that far, that the, the employee should have been performance managed ages before we're talking in here. Um, retraining. Oh, the amount of retraining actions I see all that does is punish people involved including the poor trainer we only retrain people if the investigation shows there was a problem of understanding what they'd been taught and then we had, and then even then what's the point of retraining if they didn't understand it the first time exactly the same way Maybe we have to address why they didn't onboard that knowledge to start with right only retrain someone if there was a knowledge breakdown not an application of knowledge breakdown. That's not evidence of a lack of understanding or or knowledge. That's just a lack of application. That's completely different. Toolbox talks are are one of the most overused, overrated um, action that I see in investigations, probably my number one. They don't reduce risk, they're not sustainable. Now I'm not saying toolbox talks don't do something, but they don't reduce risk. You know, yes, we should be communicating information to our workforce, but not as a result of an investigation because they're not, uh, not, and certainly not the only action because how many people, how many times have you run one out and not everyone was there? What happens if you run one out and you have, so you have the whole workforce there, you know, Friday, everyone was there. Guess what happens on Tuesday? We have a new hire. How do they find out about it? How do they find out? About it? And how much do, can you put in an induction? you know, before people can't read it. I mean, I've worked for organisations with five-day inductions. I can guarantee you 90% of that stuff went in and went out for most people, probably including myself. We've got to get away from these because they don't improve anything. They don't improve anything at all. We've got to ask for more. We've got to get to a stage where we create distance between the hazard and how the work is normally done. You know, we've got to look at those higher-level controls, you know, you know, providing, you know, better equipment, automation, and then other higher-level controls, and even in the admin space, like better planning and scheduling, those sorts of things. We need to create enough distance so if there is drift, if there is some deviation, we don't engage with the risk. We've got some protection. We've got some depth, All right? Um, one of the things I do, I, I see is we... we we put goal-based. So one of the things we recommend is goal-based recommendations. Too often, I see too complex uh, actions in in actions that then go into action tracking systems. They sit there for you know months, if sometimes a couple of years. I've seen them even longer, two or three years, because they're too complex. When we have a systemic issue, and an example here is the training systems, you know, no good. It doesn't provide trade and competent workers. Our goal-based recommendation would be to to implement a training system that provides trained and competent workers. Now, that doesn't live in a standard tracking system, right? So that's a goal-based recommendation. So we want a training system that meets this standard. We want it to achieve this. It then would go to the training manager for them to work out how best to achieve that goal-based recommendation. And our advice is it gets removed from, it gets put in their strategic plan for their department, their division, their business unit, whatever it is, and then it and then it gets closed out of the action tracking system, and it's tracked by the senior leaders as part of their performance management of the implementation of their strategic plans. Um, it, it it just makes things a bit easier. And also, when we look at those goal-based recommendations, one like this is going to take resources, consultation, change management, leadership commitment. That's not something we can wrap up in two or three, you know, in a sentence or two about how that works. That that requires a detailed plan and resourcing. So that happens at a strategic level. We need to make sure that we do that. We need to make sure that we do that. Um, too often, I see you know too many controls in the lower level, uh, and it, and it does my head in. Too many of these admin pe- admin actions. I was at a at a workshop not long ago, and um, there was a professor from the University of Queensland. He said, and he, and he said, there's only actually you know. Three um, type of controls in the hierarchy of control, and we all going, hang on, isn't there five? You know, elimination, substitution, isolation, engineering, um, admin, PPE. And he goes, no, because the bottom two, admin and PPE, are out of our control because they are now we've gone over to the worker and said it's up to you. You know, you, we've 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 done all we can to manage risk, and now it's on, on you to manage the risk, and that's not what the WHS legislation says in Australia. It's up to the PCBU to manage risk, Not not up to them. So every time I do an investigation, I get an action. I go, right, can we eliminate? Can we eliminate that risk and really press hard? Can we substitute? Can we isolate? Can we engineer? And I work through each of the findings, each of the risks, each of the issues, and I start with the people who do the work, can this be eliminated? So I actually make it a very structured process instead of us just jumping to writing the next procedure or putting a line in a procedure. Um, really push hard. We've got to push harder. Um, we're up to number five, my fifth tip, and 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 looks like we'll be finishing up uh, on time, which is always good. Sarah likes when I do that. Um, the written report. So let's be clear about the written report, what its role is is to actually not just be a nice little novella that a leader reads and go, oh yeah, I'm comfortable with that, those actions look okay, and then moves on and thanks very much for coming. The written report should be, and I'm talking about high level investigations here when we're you know, fairly serious investigations, we credibly could have killed someone um, or we really seriously did hurt someone. We've They've got to be drivers of change for the business. They've got to give the, the 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 risk owner, the decision maker, the resource owner, and the the um, the drive, the push, to make change. We've got to actually do that, and 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 we've got to push that hard. We want to instigate that change, drive that action. So we've got to start using what we call a business case approach. We've actually got to be a bit more technical with our writing. Um, and one of the and, and really push that um, and there can be no surprises. So, you know, one of the things we we, we advise uh, people to do is when you start during investigation, socialize the investigation with the manager or the risk owner. So let them know as soon as you start to see some of the risks emerging. So there is no surprise when you when you do your findings. And then once you've worked that out, you're starting to get some clarity on where your recommendations might lie or your actions might lie. Start to socialise that. You know, leaders hate surprises, right? They get enough to deal with without being blindsided or surprised. So that's where some, organize, some say to people fall apart. They, they just absolutely ambush with a report saying, uh, and then wonder why they don't get the results. We've got to be better than that. We've got to be better than that. Um, when I'm writing an investigation report, I start at the back. I actually start, when I start with my recommendations. So, so I've already said, you know, this is when I'm actually wordsmithing the report, right? So I'll have a rough draft and I'm wordsmithing the report. Um, I'll start with the recommendations, make sure they're tight. I also make sure whoever's responsible for implementing those um, uh, actions, those actions come from them, not me. If it's something I have to do, yeah, they'll come from me. But if it's something that comes from say, the purchasing manager or the training manager or operations manager, the action has to come from them. They've got to own it. You know we'll, we'll, we make sure we keep we keep them on task, that it's you know that it's reasonable and timely and specific and measurable and those sort of things, we make sure we're there, but it's got to come from them. I then write the findings. I them, write my sequence or summary of the events. And the only thing I put in that is anything that's directly related to the findings or gives context to the findings. If it doesn't meet that test, I don't put it in. And then I put my executive summary in, and my executive summary details um, my key recommendations as well. So I'm trying to give you. A, if a leader wants to read it on the first page, they can read it on the first page, and they can be if they're satisfied and it's enough push for them, they can go. They require more depth to get them over the line. They'll go. They'll read more on, but that's 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 how we write them. And with our recommendations, what we recommend is is you make sure one of the, one of the levers you can pull is leveraging an organisation's values or strate- uh, strategy. So I've got an overarching strategic statement, uh, overarching a plan on a page, um, overarching value set. How do our recommendations meet that. So I would give the recommendation and I would say by by implementing this recommendation, blah blah blah, uh, we will uh, uh, help the organization achieve um, achieve strategy one, two, three, or four, whatever it might be. So really align your recommendations to the organization's strategy and that's the value add that's the value add that we talk about. At the end of the day, what we need to do with any of the reports, with our actions, is clearly demonstrate to the owner of the risk, you know, be it it the CEO or, or if they've delegated that down, the level of the risk they accept for the controls they decide to implement or not implement. And I don't have time in this session today, but we'll probably do another session at some stage. But we really need to get a really good understanding of the actual concept is so far as reasonably practical. It's not subjective, it's a quantitative test. And with that, we're talking about using things like grossly disproportionate uh, and metrics around that and statistical value of life. Those are the key things we need to do. And that demonstrates the risk. So walking away from, from, you know, at the end of the investigation report, the owner needs to go, right, if I implement these actions, Well, I'll have a reduction of risk and probably just likelihood, by the way, not consequence. If I don't implement this, then I'm going to tolerate that risk and I'll I'll make a decision whether I tolerate that risk or not tolerate that risk. Um, And look, I I put this in pretty much just about everything I roll out. Be more interested in what's happening out there and not what's happening with the paperwork because that really doesn't matter. Uh, The paperwork doesn't care. Um, Any questions, please open it up um Sarah I'll let you handle that um this is me um that's my um uh, info details and my number if, you, if you're interested and um, that's our link to our website as well that qr code um please um yeah make contact and um yeah we'd be happy to chat more um that's all awesome thanks thanks for listening and if anyone's got any questions i'll be happy to happy to chat thank you mark um i did
1: just a link to the webinar next week, which is also quite an interesting topic, um, in the chat there. So the first question is from Crystal, and she says, "In place of a toolbox, what recommendation would you make?" I have a government department who asks for this for every event we report. I agree it doesn't fix or add value to the learning from the from the event.
0: Um, Crystal, if that's the only action that I wouldn't give them an action. Um, look. When you're a contractor, sometimes you've got to play the game, right? Um, and, and, and if you don't have that, you know, if, if we can't push back on them and try and educate them, which is what I, my first port of call, if I can educate, look, that toolbox is not going to do anything. Um, then I try and uh, I try and educate them. Look, at some stages, as a contractor, either for a government department or a or a, pri- a private client, um, sometimes you just have to um, eat, eat the sandwich, so to speak. Um, but I put the amount of effort into it um, that it deserves, which is barely any, um, and I tick the box. Um, what I look for though is to explain that, hang on, if I've got higher level recommendations, the toolboxes are necessary because we've substituted engineering. We don't need this because we've already engineered the risk out. Then that should be justification for not for not putting a toolbox in. Um, but but I feel your pain. I feel your pain, Christian. I feel your pain.
1: So I have a question for you, Mark. Um, you mentioned something earlier about four Ds and a white paper. Do you think we can find that to share in the email?
0: Uh, yeah, it's just if you, if you, um, or if you just Google Jeffrey Life, uh, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y Life, L-Y-T-H, um, the four Ds, but I'll send you, I'll send you, um, I'll send you it's, it's, it's not my paper, it's Jeff's. Um, Yeah, we should be able to find that white paper and people should be able to find it fairly easily on Google.
1: Yeah, I'll have a look. All right. So, yeah, we don't have any more questions, but, um, yeah, it was a really good turnout. Um, So we will send out this link, podcast, YouTube, later today. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. That was really interesting. Um, and Yeah, look forward to another one on that um, further topic you mentioned later on in the
0: Yeah, I think we'll be doing one a little bit later on psychosocial safety risks.
1: Oh, yeah. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks everyone, everyone for coming. Bye. Bye.